Well, we are continuing our series, uh, Signs, and uh, we're going to be looking in John chapter 6, if you want to uh, turn there. I just want to thank you uh, for joining us at 10 a.m. Uh, really appreciate you adjusting uh, for uh, us, and uh, what it is so amazing to see all of you here looking so great, and to think that some of you even brought a teenager an hour early to church. Now, that, okay, that, that's a miracle right there, okay, that's so... That could be the first miracle that we can uh, be reflecting upon today, and then we're going to look at Jesus uh, feeding uh, the 5,000. But really, um, you know, our, our hope is, is uh, meeting here at 10 o'clock, uh, the desire would just continue to uh, uh, help the attendance to build, and then also our volunteer base uh, to build. Uh, one day we have a vision of going back to 9 and 11, but, you know, not having uh, services where there's you know, 15 people at one and a couple hundred at another, you know, uh, but two, uh, you know, very complimentary services that really, uh, you know, serves our community and our people uh, well. So thank you uh, for this adjust, uh, adjustment, and we'll keep on going. You can certainly see who the morning people, on a day like today, who the morning people are. They're all like, hey, hi, 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 you know, and all of us night people are like, oh, man, whose idea was this? Can I get some toothpicks for my eyes, right? Um, so, in fact, uh, so the person's who idea this is, uh, I will tell you truthfully, I just can't say it publicly. So just come forward and I'll let you know who that is, give you their email, and uh, you can uh, take it up with... Uh, I'm kidding. Okay. Um, now, if you are in one of our connect groups, you know that we shared partially the story of George Danzig, and so I'm going to begin a little bit different with just more of that story and kind of reading it today, and then we're going to jump into our text in John chapter 6. For those who don't have any idea what I'm talking about, just follow along here uh, in the beginning. Uh, it says, in 1939, George Danzig was enrolled in a graduate statistics program at the University of California at Berkeley. At the beginning of one of the class sessions, his professor, Dr. Jersey Naiman put two of the famous unsolvable problems in statistics. Uh, he put those up on the board. George was late to class that day, and he missed the disclaimer, disclaimer that these problems on the board were unsolvable. So instead, when he looked up and saw the problems, he thought they were a homework assignment. So George transcribed these problems uh, into his notebook and went to work. The only thing that he felt bad about, because they, they took him a couple of days to solve. Uh, and when he handed in the homework after a couple of days, uh, you know, he's kind of sheepish about it because it was a little bit late, he thought. Well, that following Saturday morning, Professor Naaman actually came and knocked on the door of his apartment. This is when Dr. Naaman informed him that he had solved two of the statistics, statistics, unsolvable problems. Now, George finished his doctorate in 1946. He worked for the Defense Department in Washington, D.C. for a time, and in 1966, he took a position in the Department of Computer Science at Stanford University. George went on to have a very distinguished career. In fact, in 1975, he was awarded the National Medal of Science. Some of the uh, logarithms uh, that he, logarithms that he created influenced the way airplanes schedule their fleets and used in the shipping industry deploys, in the way that the shipping industry deploys its trucks, 
the way that financial companies do their projections, the way that oil refineries run. His legacy spans far and wide today. George is quoted at one time saying, had these problems been presented to me as unsolvable, I would not have tried to solve them. <laughs> it sounds a lot like Henry Ford who said, if you think you can and you think you can't, you're probably right. And I was thinking about this quote <laughs> and uh, even think of it when it comes related to miracles as we look at the miracle stories. And I think one of the things that God wants us to take away here that I think that if we think God can or we think God can't, then we're probably going to be right. <laughs> Let me just say that again. If we think that God can and we think that God can't, then we're probably right. I will tell you as we're looking at the miracles of Jesus, my, my first attempt is really to try and look at uh, the Bible, the biblical text, and help us to understand what is happening here, what's going on, context, you know, just really get a good understanding in our mind of what the story is. But I will tell you that if I have another bent to this, and maybe you've kind of picked that up as the weeks have gone on, is that my hope is, is that we wouldn't just come and look at these miracle stories and kind of walk out saying, oh, that's cool. Where are we going to lunch, you know? But rather, we might take a look at these miracle stories and we might say, Lord, how might I experience some of these in my life? Because I really do believe that the biblical text is, is not a teaser, but what I mean by that is that I, I don't think God gives us in the Bible, you know, the stories and the teachings, you know, to kind of make the standard way up here and, and show us a life that we're, we're always going to be desperately far from attaining. I think God puts these stories and these things in the Bible that they might be an aspiration of our life, that they might be a trajectory for where we'd like to go in our life. And I, I desperately, desperately, I, my prayer for you over these weeks is that God would help you to experience the miraculous. And so we've looked at some of how that takes place in our lives. If you remember the first week, we noted the obedience of the servants. And I think that's a part of it. Right? That we don't live in a disobedient life to God, expecting Him to do miracles. Although, yeah, I know quite a few people that live that way. Um, you know, instead, we want you know, our obedience and our following of Christ to be the foundation by which you know, miracles can happen. We've also talked about the, the role of faith right? in that in imperial uh, that royal person who came in to Jesus in this great desperation. You know, he had all these other, you know, he had every other remedy available to him, but he was down to Jesus to, to save his son from death, and Jesus does it. Because God wants to cooperate with our faith, you know, and he wants us to express that faith to him 
in prayer and in the way that we talk to him. We don't want to pray for miracles and, you know, spend some time talking to him and then walk away like, yeah, like God would ever really do that, you know? <laughs> we don't want to give in to any kind of temptation like that, but we want God to build this, build the obedience in our lives and build the faith in our hearts that this might be something we experience. So let's look at this story now, shall we, and get a little bit more uh, into this and the feeding of the 5,000, but also see what God might have for us today. So starting at verse 6, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 1 of John chapter 6, I entitled this first part, Only a Test, and we're going to get to that portion in just a second, but let's start at verse 1, shall we? Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Verse 6, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And so here we see Jesus has been ministering for some time, teaching for a while now, and has led to this great crowd. And this is what we see about this crowd. This is what John wants to help us understand, right? He says it's a great crowd of people because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. And that's, that's really, really important because we see now, right, how John has laid out his gospel over these miracles. It's been the main outline. And so John wants us to understand these, but it also wants to kind of through the lens of these miracles help us to understand people and the crowds and his disciples. And so you have quite a contrast here between the people and Philip. We see that the people are coming because they saw Jesus perform the healing of the sick. And so John wants to note here that there's a great crowd of people and their main basis for following Jesus is watching these healings because these are pretty cool. <laughs> Did you notice that he doesn't say that this crowd is following because they are so moved by, this, by his teaching? That the, he doesn't say that the crowd is following because they're putting their faith in Jesus. He doesn't say this crowd is following because they believe that he is the Messiah who has come. He says this crowd is following because they really like to see the healings. They kind of like to see when Jesus does the cool stuff. <laughs> and I will tell you that throughout church history, there have been those, and the basis of their following of Jesus has been that Jesus could do some pretty cool things. <laughs> Almost like Jesus is this traveling show, dare I say, circus, from community to community, and this is gathering a pretty good crowd. I want you to know that this has always been the case in Christianity. And I want to just say this to you, because crowds come and go. <laughs> C 
Crowds come and go. <laughs> and this is why God wants us to found our faith solely on him. <laughs> Can I also tell you that people are going to let us down? People are, you know, going to go off sometimes, <laughs> even in the church. But this is why God has never called us to follow anybody but him. And so always keep your eyes on him. I think one of the things that John wants us to know about this text is what's really important is for us to always be in pursuit of the miracle worker over the miracle. To be in pursuit of the miracle worker over the miracle. And what this will help us to do is that as we are living our lives and we're asking God to do this or to do that, if we keep our focus on him and we keep following him, we realize that sometimes our prayers are answered and sometimes they aren't. But I will say this, is that I believe when we get to heaven, all these things will be revealed. You know? God is not, doesn't answer some prayers and not others to you know, kind of play with us. We're not his kind of you know, dolls on a string, right? <laughs> but he wants us to solidly found our faith on him, knowing that when we get to heaven, everything is going to be revealed. And we'll know reasons and understandings that we just can't and don't have now. And so, we want to be a disciple of Jesus. We don't want to be part of the crowd who follows him. Because of the cool things he can do, but we want to follow him because he's our leader and our Lord and our Savior. And so the other thing he mentions here is that the Jews' Passover festival was near. And so there's another thing that kind of, as you think about these holy days that the Jewish people had, um, is that one of the things that was really important for the Jewish people, and I think we, we want to take this away for us as well, is that they had all of these holy days, they, you know, continually throughout the calendar year. And so many of them are connected to the great works that God did in their past. For instance, this Passover festival we know was the, the time that right, of the Passover, when they were able to get out of Egypt, when they were brought out of slavery. And in this story, you have the ten plagues, and you have the parting of the water. You know, I mean, God is just doing huge, miraculous things in his people through this time. And so they said, this is so big and so important. Let's make sure that we regularly come back to this story. And I think this is so important to, to continuing to experience the miraculous in our lives is that we don't forget what he's already done, beginning with our salvation, right? I mean, I mean is that not, like, for many of us, I mean, sometimes we might have ex experienced a supernatural thing before that, but, you know, when I look back on it, that was my first miracle was when I said, yes, I want to follow God. And I ask him to forgive of my sins and to, you know, to receive the gift of eternal life. I mean, do we, do we have much more 
that we have to give, you know, we have to experience in our lives in order to be thankful, right? I mean, we can start right there. But I think God in our lives wants us to not forget the great work that he's done in the past. You know, so I don't know if you have a, a journal or anything like that. We, we have this shadow box. Um, it's been a part of our home. And in it are just different things that signif signify when we've watched God do awesome and amazing things through our family's life. And it's so great to look in that shadow box and to see these 10, 12 things and just remember quickly, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, I remember that. Uh, one, one was when um, we had, uh, I, when we were living in Houghton and my family's still uh, in the Francoville area. This is all in the southern tier, um, which is still meaning nothing to you. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, we, we had, um, let's see, we well, we were we were given uh, this Aerostar van. Do you remember these Aeros? Do you remember the Aerostar van? Right. I mean, that was, those things are kind of cool. You know, it was light blue. It was awesome. It was from Grandpa. Um, it was, uh, but I think this one was like rear wheel drive. And so I came over a hill that uh, you know is not in a very populated place. And uh, as I came over this hill, going going too fast, but I didn't realize it was kind of one of those things. The, the road was kind of snowy. But where I was coming up over the hill was a place where the sun had hit the road all day long. And so do you know when we came over the hill and, and, and then hit, the, hit that part of the road, do you know what it was? It was just a huge patch of ice. And, and so now I come over the hill, Tammy and I are in the car, and we hit this. And now I'm just swinging totally out of control. I, I, I have no idea what, you know, I mean, our back end's just going side to side to side, and, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, man, you know, and, uh, and, all, and Tammy, she calls out, Jesus, please save us, and then all of a sudden, the van comes to this complete stop, like this. I'm like, Did that just happen? You know, I, I, you know, I mean, we're, we're serving totally out of control. I just don't know which ditch we're headed in. And she, she prays this very quick prayer and just goes like this. And we believe that Jesus answered the prayer that moment. And then we just kind of finished down the hill, and I drove a bit slower. But, you know, like, like we want to just remember, you know, those times that God has worked in our lives, like not getting too far or too you know, away from those things, you know, so that we just kind of, we, we keep going with God and um, we can just allow him to kind of build on those things. So that, that way we're not always just looking for the next miracle, but we do take time in our lives to be thankful for the ones that he has already done. Now, I mentioned in verse number six that he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So isn't this interesting? So you have all of these people that are coming, but now this turns into this little interaction between Jesus and Philip, where it says he asked Philip the question to test him, for God already had in mind what he was going to do. So it didn't matter so much to Philip about, you know, what his answer was going to be, but he wanted Philip to really learn something here. Now, it's it's not unusual that he would 
ask Philip, because as you look at the landscape and where they are, Philip was from the closest to where they were on this mountainside. So he would know where the local giant was, you know, where they could go get bread. You know, if anybody knew, it was going to be Philip. But of course, Philip is looking at all of these people, and he's saying, uh, you know, uh, not sure how we're going to do this. It says that Jesus asked him to test him. So can we think about tests for even just a moment? I will say this, is that when, when you're going through a hard time in your life, what's really important is to understand the source. Because if the source of it is your sin, then you want to confess, repent, and turn so that you can come out of that situation. But sometimes God brings tests to our lives. Now, this shouldn't surprise us, right, when we think about tests. How did you get your driver's license? You passed a test, right? Hopefully you did. Uh, how did you get um, your high school diploma? You passed the test. Has any of us ever walked into a college records and just said, hey, I think you should just give me a diploma, and they did? No, right? For every degree that you've ever had, for a number of things that you earned, from some of the jobs that you had, there was probably something in it where you had to pass a test. And a lot of times, it's just the same with Jesus. Let me put this test in a little bit of context. This feeding of the 5,000 probably comes a little bit after Mark chapter 8, where Jesus feeds 4,000. And so the reason that it's kind of a test for Philip is for Philip to look upon this crowd and put the dots together, right? Jesus had just fed 4,000 with just a little bit. And so now here, this is the feeding of the 5,000. But let me tell you very distinctly, here in John, he mentions that this is a feeding of the 5,000, but that was the men who were counted. And so that does not count the women and the children. And so what they believe is before the disciples now is probably anywhere between eight and 11,000 people. So here was the test for Philip. He watched Jesus feed four, but did he believe God enough that he could feed eight, nine, ten thousand people? That was the test. And so it is for us too. Now, some of your um, translations in the Bible might have said to prove, to prove. Philip in this. And what that means is like the idea is a proving ground, right? It was kind of a military term where you would actually go out and you would kind of, uh, you know, pre-engagement um, with the enemy, you might go out to this field, a proving ground, and you might kind of get used to some of the weapons and how they worked before you had to engage in battle. The fact is, is that when we look at the Bible, we see a lot of proving grounds, right? How about Mount Moriah, 
where Abraham is tested if he'll sacrifice Isaac or not? How about the proving ground of the fiery furnace for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How about the proving ground of the lion's den for Daniel? How about the proving ground of the Egyptian dungeon for Joseph? How about the proving ground of the life of Job? How about the proving ground of the Garden of Gethsemane? The fact is, is that God, he brings us tests in hopes that we will pass those tests and move to the next level in our spiritual growth. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Are you thinking of maybe a test that you're experiencing right now? Are you thinking maybe of some proving ground that God has you right now in that place? He's saying, are you ready? I have something more. Will you come with me? Will you pass the test? Now, God's so gracious that sometimes... You know, we just say, we're not ready. <laughs> God, I'm not going there. And yet we have a God, I believe, who still journeys with us and brings us around to those same things later. And these tests are not to harm us. These tests are an opportunity to show ourselves faithful to God. Actually, I'll go even one step further. These tests in our lives are actually when God wants to show his faithfulness to you. Because when you think about these stories here, right? Who put the ram in the thicket for Abraham? God did. Who protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? God did. Who was with Daniel in the lion's den? God was. Who was with Joseph in the dungeon? God was. Who was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? God was. <laughs> and so there are times that we have these tests in our walks. And I'm rooting for you to pass them with fine colors, to show yourself faithful to God and so that God might show himself faithful to you. In Deuteronomy 8.2, Moses saying that, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Moses says he's brought us through this wilderness and it had all these tests. And God has shown himself faithful, and we have too. The psalmist in Psalm 18, 24 and 25, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness, no, cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful you have shown yourself faithful. To the blameless you show yourself blameless. And to the pure you show yourself pure. To experience the miraculous, we've got to pass the test. Number two 
is this. <laughs> is that when God's will um, doesn't seem to add up. When God's will doesn't seem to add up. Picking up in verse 7, Philip answered him, it would take almost a year's wage to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two, two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? You see, the interesting thing, we've looked at these different kinds of miracles, haven't we? We've looked at the first one, Jesus turning water into wine, where, you know, he kind of saved the reputation of the family, right? From the family who ran out of wine to the family who just kept bringing out better and better wine, right? He heals the imperial's son uh, over distance and, and far away, right? I mean, and, and the imperial puts it together. This royal person puts it together. The servants are telling him, this is when he was healed. He says, that's when Jesus spoke right? And, and so Jesus can do miracles uh, in that way. Uh, we watched him heal last week a man by the pool of Bethsaida who was an invalid for 38 years. And in one moment, this illness of 38 years is gone. The man picks up his mat and he walks. This particular um, miracle is the miracle of multiplication, right? It's not of addition, he doesn't add uh, to the five barley loaves and two small fish another five barley loaves and two small fish, right? Because Jesus, he doesn't really do addition. He does multiplication. And so what happens is this fish and loaves eventually continue to multiply and to multiply until you have 5,000 men, probably 9,000 people satisfied. In Deuteronomy 7.13 says, and he will love you and bless you and multiply you. And so what's really important here is to remember this, is that if you wait until it all adds up to do God's will, you'll probably never do it. <laughs> See, a lot of times we think like, okay, God, you know what, I'm, I will do this, but I, I need you to do this and this and this. Or, you know, God, I, I will do this, but I want to make sure that I'm up to this point, you know, before really that kind of happens. And the truth is, <laughs> is that a lot of times God's just waiting for our yes. He is waiting for us to step in. And what he has in mind is a miracle of multiplication for our lives. Remember, a few weeks ago, we mentioned how, you know, tithing is a, is a test. And so I might just say to you even right now that it, if, if you're waiting until your finances are at a certain point in order to begin to give or to tithe, it probably is not going to happen. But yet, it's when we take that step that we watch it multiply. That maybe if there's something else in your life, I don't know what it is. Is there something else that God is, is calling you to? That God has you revisit from time to time? Is there something that God has laid on your heart? And I realize these are, 
sometimes kind of dangerous prayers, but is there something that you feel like God continually presents to you, but you're waiting for all of the resources to add up? You're waiting for the time to be perfect. You're, you're waiting until the, all these other things are taken care of. And God's saying, would you just follow? Would you just take a step and follow me? Because there are, there's lots of needs out there and lots of places where God wants us to be his hands and feet. But it might just take a step of faith. It might just take our yes first before we see all the other things come into place. I mean, this is definitely, I, man, I mean, I, I wish I could tell you like, like it was any easier. Um, when, I, when I look back on my life, to see God do amazing things, there was kind of one point just before it. Like I remember I'm, I'm going to a community college and I have a full academic scholarship, um, but I feel like God's calling me to at this time Houghton College, private Christian education, who's giving me almost no money <laughs> to come. And so I remember at the time my dad's commuting to a different place, but I just felt like God was calling me to take this step. And so I remember calling my dad and saying, Dad, this is where I'm at. <laughs> at the time, my dad's not a believer, and he just told me, he goes, well, Christopher, you're going from a full scholarship to like quite a few thousands of dollars of debt every year. And I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> but then the last thing he said was, but Christopher, he goes, listen, if you feel like God's calling you to do this, you have to do it. <laughs> and man, I'm telling you, you know, Houghton is a place I met my wife. <laughs> I received a call to ministry. I mean, you could see that God was like, I had this moment that I had to decide and say yes, even when things didn't add up. But if I would just say yes, then I could experience all that he had for me. When we were starting a church out of Eastern Hills, and, uh, you know, at the time, Pastor Carl is uh, pastor of Eastern Hills. It's running about 3,500 people. Um, and so now we're going to start a church out of this church. And I had a couple guys that lined up to have a lunch with me very early on, right after we had announced. And I knew what these guys did. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, if these guys come on our launch team, this is going to go pretty well, you know. But it ended up that these guys met me for lunch. And what I did not know is that they met me to try to talk me out of it, <laughs> to say, I, I don't think you understand, Pastor Christopher. You don't have any organization yet. No, no, we're working on a 501c3. <laughs> you don't have any building yet. No, no, yeah, we, we'd like that at some point. He goes, you don't have any staff yet. 
um, no, not, not, not quite, but, you know, we feel like God will, you know, I mean, it was just, they were just trying to be this mirror to us to say, so basically right now it's like you and your wife and, and your son, and then, you know, when you give birth to Jared, there'll be four of you, just four of you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, but I'm so glad that not one of those businessmen talked us out of it. Because they would have talked us out of 13 years of beautiful ministry and a front row seat of watching God touch and change so many lives. But there was that point where had I agreed with them and said, oh man, yeah, what am I thinking? <laughs> I've got nothing here, you know. <laughs> How is this going to go? And so sometimes we think similarly about like, moving five hours away <laughs> to a place that we're not all that familiar. But I want to tell you, like, from our experience, we're on the edge of our seats waiting to see what God has in store for us. And I hope that you do too. But it takes these moments when God's will maybe doesn't add up. Maybe you can't figure it all out and the, the, you know, the bottom line doesn't equal out in the end, but God still wants us to follow him. And then lastly, point number three, the point that only Jesus satisfies. Only Jesus satisfies. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down, and there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. So you could see women and children. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Uh, who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over uh, by those who had eaten. And so incredibly, he takes this fish, he takes this bread, he gives thanks to the Father for it. And all of a sudden, as it's being distributed, it just continues to multiply and multiply and multiply. And it wasn't like everyone just got a little bite, but basically until every person on this mountainside was satisfied. And then they collected another 12 baskets after it was all over. Have you ever thought about this? Like, well, why are there 12 baskets left over, you know? Why not 10 or 4 or, right, 2? <laughs> well, they're not really, really clear on it. But this is what we know, is that 12 represents in the Bible perfect rule and authority and completeness. We see 12 187 times in the Bible. It is also a number that points, would, would have pointed their hearts towards heaven with 12 tribes, 12 apostles, New Jerusalem with 12 gates, the 144,000 who was 12 by 12,000. And so 12 was actually a number that kind of pointed their hearts towards heaven. And so now they have these 12 baskets that are left over. 
And so we see there's no lack in God's provision to these people, and there's no lack of his provision in our relationship with him. Jesus then kind of wraps up the chapter. We jump into verse 31. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whomever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus says, you think this miracle is cool with this fish and this bread, but there is a way for you to be always satisfied in your life, and that is to look to Jesus. And you think about it. There are so many different ways that people seek satisfaction in this world. Some seek it in the pursuit of money. You know, some seek it in pursuit of relationships. Some seek it in alcohol. Some seek it in drugs. Some seek it on the internet. Some seek it in social media. But Jesus says, if you want what really satisfies your life, it is following God. Matthew 5, 6 said, Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And Psalm 23, 26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is the bread of life, the one who satisfies. Let us pray together. Well, God, we thank you for meeting us here and helping us to understand your word. God, helping us to understand what you had for Philip and your disciples in that moment. And God, we thank you that you have promised to journey with us in this life. That, God, you never leave us nor forsake us but that indeed you bring things before us that we might pass the test and that we might grow. God, I pray for any, even right now, that they, as we're speaking these words, Lord, they're praying for your strength in this test that they might pass it with flying colors. God, I pray for those that maybe do feel like you've given them a calling or you're calling them to do something. And that, God, maybe it doesn't quite all add up in this moment. God, I pray for their faith to be strong and to always remember that you are a God who multiplies God, we thank you that you indeed specialize in what appears to be impossible. That you specialize 
us. And God, I even want to pray right now for anyone that's sitting here that they're kind of faced with an impossible situation, whether that's in relationship or their spiritual life or their finances, whatever it might be, God. I pray that you would show them the way forward as they follow you and do your will. God, thank you great life you give us to me. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name that we pray.